0: This is the Baptism of Christ, the first Sunday after Epiphany. Uh, Episcopalians are a liturgical church, which means that that we have set forms of prayer and that we have a calendar throughout the year uh, that focuses on various aspects of the life of Jesus. So we have just been, we're coming now to the concluding period, uh, the Sundays after Epiphany, which will conclude the Advent-Christmas Epiphany cycle in the liturgical year. Christmas, Advent-Christmas uh, Epiphany is the second post that was put in the liturgical year in its evolution. The first one was Easter, so we had Easter and then a preparatory season prior to Easter, which was originally just Holy Week and then became the season of Lent. And we then will move through Easter and 50 days of Easter. And then we'll go to Pentecost and the Sundays after Pentecost. So we're here now uh, backwards in terms of the calendar of finishing uh, Advent Christmas Epiphany. So the first Sunday after Epiphany is always called the Baptism of Christ because we read one of the Gospels uh, in each of the three-year cycle. Uh, that focuses on the baptism of Christ. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, on Epiphany, they read the gospel about Jesus' baptism. And the Western Church has read always the story of the visit to the infant Jesus by the three magi. And the reason we do that is because we want to emphasize the universal significance of the birth of Jesus. And so symbolically, these three wise men or magi magi, were representatives of all of the known world then. I can't remember, but in the ancient world, they said they thought there were these many countries. And I can't remember how many there were, but there was not a lot, maybe 80 or something like that. So that's what that is for. And then on Sunday, we celebrate the baptism of Christ. And we will then inaugurate Jesus' public ministry. So I thought I'd say some things to you about baptism. Because uh, since the, the liturgical renewal in the Western Church, which is now 50 years old nearly... Uh, one of the things that was emphasized in that renewal has been the centrality and the importance of baptism. And one of the advances that was made by uh, the, the liturgical uh, people who wrote the liturgical changes or renewal in the church's life was to uh, de-emphasize the idea that baptism was cosmic spot remover. <laughs> know, we wanted to emphasize what the primitive Christian church understood baptism to be. So when we speak about liturgical renewal, when people say changes, changes don't always mean you do something new. It means that you maybe uh, recover some practices that you uh, didn't know about before, and they significantly change the way in which we understand ourselves as the Christian community. So baptism constitutes, in the early church, the initiation of the person baptized into the body of Christ. It provides them, in our version of the baptismal liturgy now also, with a template that we call the baptismal covenant. And so on the Sundays, we baptize people four times a year at St. Luke's if we have candidates for baptism. On uh, the baptism of Christ on Easter, on Pentecost, and on All Saints Sunday, the Sunday closest to November the 1st. So on those days, if we don't have candidates for baptism, we renew our baptismal vows. And it permits everyone to focus on the importance of the baptismal covenant. Many, many people were baptized when they were infants Or young children, and so their memories of what happened is very scant. And so it's a good thing as an adult to be able to renew your baptismal covenant. I was uh, baptized as an adult. I was 19 when I got baptized. So it had a powerful impress on me, as you can see. (laughs) So, uh, the baptismal covenant is a thing that is very important. I I say this over and over again. On Ash Wednesday every year, I go into the church sometime during the day uh, between the liturgies, and I take the prayer book out, and I read the baptismal covenant in the baptismal liturgy. So, I then say to myself, how am I doing over the last year with uh, being faithful to the covenant? You know, this is not an uh, uncontroversial issue in the Anglican Communion because the Episcopal Church is one of the few churches that in its renewed baptismal liturgy has a baptismal covenant. There are certain very conservative provinces in the Anglican Communion And certainly uh, a number of conservative clergy that I have known in my life that think it is ludicrous to suggest that we would have a covenant with God. We don't make any contracts with God. Good night, nurse. (laughs) Right? And yet it is at the very heart of our self-understanding because the great sweep of salvation history in the Hebrew Bible and subsequently to that is all about our relationship with God, his steadfast faithfulness in the midst of our waywardness, in the midst of our fickleness, in the midst of our changeabilities. He is constant. And so how do we cooperate with that? In a way, the baptismal covenant is a way to express gratitude for God's work in each of us, giving us the Holy Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. So baptism, in that sense, is an important thing. Uh, let me say a word about why we be- we baptize infants and young children in our, in, uh, our, tr- in our tradition. The Roman Catholics do in many mainline churches. Uh, we believe that uh, in the Bible... There are a number of places, uh, particularly in Paul's writings, where it describes uh, Paul or the Apostles baptizing households. So one assumes that at least in some of these ha- households, there were infants and young children in them. And we also believe that it is important to, uh, to provide the opportunity <laughs> for infants and young children to fully participate in the life of the church from the jump. So, a year ago today, I baptized my grandson Lucas in, the, in North Vancouver, British Columbia. And since that time, on Sunday, he has come, when he's come to church, he has received Holy Communion. He's been part of the community of the faithful in that sense and has received the spiritual food and drink that will sustain him as he moves forward. So we think that infants and young children uh, ought to be baptized if people, if the parents want the children to be baptized. The normative age for baptism in the early church was adulthood. So, in one sense, the Baptists uh, have a point uh, in the in so far as somebody made an adult commitment and they decided now to be baptized. And uh, as the result of that, it's it's uh, an important thing, and there has been a revival of uh, adult baptism in churches as well for people who have not been baptized. We um, believe that baptism is central to our common life together, and this Sundays like this afford the opportunity to to say that. So I thought I'd say something to you now about the the gospel from Matthew. Uh, the, the, the baptism of, of Jesus occurs in three of the Gospels in some detail Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, which means they're seen together. They have the same sources for the most part. Uh, they share common, uh, the same, repeat the same things, and so forth. So remember the Father Brewer breathless tour of the Synoptic theory? Mark is the earliest Gospel. Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark to write their gospel. Matthew had some material that that was not in Mark or Luke called Special M. (laughs) (laughs) And Luke had some material that he only had that uh, Matthew didn't have and Mark didn't have called Special L. And uh, Matthew and Luke had something that was a source that we now call Q for the german word Quelle which means source so it was some uh, written sayings of jesus some sort of a thing some people have very elaborate theories about what q is some people believe there was a q christianity maybe that's where the q ball came from I don't know <laughs> But there are a lot of people that uh, think that's true. Or not a lot, but some. A minority opinion. In any case, uh, we hear today from Matthew. Now here's the thing. Mark's Gospel, which is the, the year B Gospel for the uh, readings on Sunday. Uh, Mark's Gospel's story of the baptism of, of Jesus by John the Baptist. When he is baptized... He comes out of the water, and a voice from heaven says, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Those words are heard only by Jesus in Mark's gospel. And the purpose of this for Mark is to say that this was a moment for Jesus to understand his vocation in depth. This is an internal experience, his emotional, spiritual, and mental states uh, being changed by his knowledge now of who he is and what he's going to do, because what's going to happen is, is that after his baptism, he'll take a left turn from John the Baptist, and the focus of his preaching and teaching will not be on repentance only. It will be on the presence and nearness of the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God is here. God is here with us now. So Matthew, in his gospel, has Jesus is baptized. Jesus comes out of the water and a a dove settles on him. And a, a voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And it's heard by everybody. The voice is heard by everyone. So it's a message to the church, it is an epiphany, a manifestation of the presence of God. And so everybody hears those words and understands God's affirmative yes to Jesus, but also by extension they understand that that's God's affirmative yes to them. And so if they understand Jesus now as the template that they lay over their own spiritual life and development they see that uh, at their baptism it is a signal moment for them and it moves them in a direction uh, to understand their vocation. So let me say a little quickly about vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. And uh, for many centuries, certainly in Western Christianity, vocation meant some vocation in the church. Right? A member of the clergy's vocation. Or a person in a religious community or a monastery's vocation. So we always talk about our vocation. When we, when I was in seminary, we always, you know, vocation and visit a religious house and their vocation and so forth. And really, I think part of the renewals, liturgical renewal, is that we have... Of properly expanded this understanding of vocation and sort of de-clericalized it, at least I hope so, that we're, we, we're beginning to see that vocation is much broader than merely the religious categories that surround the idea of vocation. So it is perfectly reasonable to say, if you're on the mystical path To uh, understand uh, your oneness with God through the things a couple of weeks ago I talked about, you know, purgation, emptying, study, discipline, patience. Doing those things means you're not just doing those things for religious reasons or in using a religious vocabulary always. You're doing them because you wish to now expand the understanding of your vocation and to see your vocation in, de- in depth, whatever it is that you do. So you can apply the tools of the mystical journey uh, to, to your job, to your family, to your hobbies, to the way in which you understand uh, w- your place in the world. And th- the baptismal covenant is a starting place, maybe, for a deeper understanding of vocation, John Macquarie, he's died a few years ago now. He was the Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford. I would love to be the <laughs> Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity just for the title. <laughs> Wouldn't that be it? Be a Lady? Who in the world was Lady Margaret? I can't remember, but she was somebody big, <laughs> right? And uh, that Ernest may know who, what, who Lady Margaret was, but I can't remember. In any, in any case, he used to talk about, and he, he wrote a, bu- a book I read the seminary, it's famous, called The Principles of Christian Theology. And in there he said that the disciples, when they saw and heard Jesus in his earthly ministry, his preaching, his teaching, his mighty works... Uh, And when things happened in the biblical witness that we read about, they were occasions for what he called seeing Jesus in depth. And what that meant was when you saw something like this, let's say the transfiguration on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured before uh, John and uh, Peter and so forth. Uh, and at that moment they understood who he was not because of this event but because of everything they'd been through with him before so that's true in your life there are things that you have been through where when you go through something you realize you put two and two together to get here now sometimes it's not always the most felicitous two and two (laughs) you know Somebody, I can't remember, somewhere said, I put two and two together and I came up with one of the nastiest fours I've ever seen. So that's also true and it also may be uh, purifying. And the benefit uh, to that is is very real. So whenever we think about baptism, it affords the opportunity to think about um, our vocation. In specifically Christian terms, it means that God needs each of us to fulfill his purposes for the cosmos in big and small ways. So if we spend too much time thinking in heroic terms about what it is that we're supposed to be doing or set goals that are so far beyond uh, our ability to do this, you know, Thomas Aquinas said, humility is knowing how high you can reach. It's knowing yourself, knowing the extent of your reach. Now, I know we live in the entrepreneurial center of the universe here. So there are a lot of people who are going to say, well, we're supposed to exceed our reach, right? That's what we need to do when we do this. Well, it doesn't hurt to be challenged. It doesn't hurt to do those kinds of things. But we have also (coughs) reaped the harvest, in my view, in this country for a number of years, of people who did not know the full extent of their reach. Right? So I think we have to face some of that with uh, clarity and with honesty. So this week, think about your baptism. Think about the baptismal uh, promises that you reaffirmed today. And remember that uh, the words at the end of the gospel, in Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and Luke's gospel to uh, tell us that we are God's sons and daughters and with us he is well pleased amen